Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with April Elliott Kent and me, producer and co-host Jen Brown. Hey friends, Jen here. Today is August 24th, 2020. And here with me, of course, through life's ups and downs, is my friend, astrologer April Elliott Kent. Hey, April. Hey, Jen. How you doing? I'm on an up today. How about you? Are you on an up or a down? I'm on a down. Tell us why you're on an up. Well, I'm on an up because kittens, of course. I mean, we have... <laughs> of course. Last week, you know, I talked about our newest addition to the podcast, who we thought at that point might be named Skittles. It ends up that she's named Violet. Yes. Which is quite different, but she is very, very beautiful, of course. And on Tuesday, we brought home her new little brother, Toby. Toby. Toblerone. <laughs> <laughs> and he's adorable, of course. So my whole life is kittens, which, of course, is exactly what I wanted. Yeah. But it's making it really challenging to get work done or get a shower or clean the house or anything. They, It's amazing because they can't be in the same room together yet. Right. So we're having to have supervisory situations in opposite ends of the houses with Johnny or I <laughs> in a room with a cat at any given time. I haven't seen Johnny in a week. Because he's always in a different room with a different cat. We get together briefly for dinner and then some cat or other starts screaming from another room. So it's exciting. What's the sleeping situation? Violet is sleeping with us. Okay. Little Violet. Mm -hmm. Which is to say she's sleeping with Johnny. And Johnny is one of these that really doesn't want a cat sleeping on him. So, of course, cats are just, he's catnip to any cat <laughs> because it's like if you don't want them, they love that. That's so funny. Apparently, they interpret those signals as being friendly. If you look at a cat head on and you like really look them in the eye and stuff, it's very unsettling for them. I see. Okay. It, or if you're always trying to grab them, pick them up or whatever. Johnny does none of that. He really likes the cats. He really plays with them and things, but he's kind of aloof with them and they love it. That's really sweet. So Violet is in Johnny land all night and she's loving it so much. She is so sweet. So that is why cats always approach me. Yeah, because you're kind of looking the other way. You're kind of not paying a lot of attention. I don't cuddle with them because I have a little bit of an allergy so I don't want to like be petting them and then you know you right. touch your face and stuff and you start I sneezing I love you <laughs> yes you would be just their kind of person then <laughs> yeah so it's total ups around here but it's logistically a little bit challenging so we're coping with that but my heart is full and my cup runneth over and I could not be happier and I have got the sweetest husband on the planet because he's enjoying the cats and he'll, you know, really love them and things. But he really did this because he could see I was just grieving. I just Aww, needed cats. That's so sweet. But it's turning his whole life upside down, too. So bless his heart. We'll get there. Yeah. And it will settle down. Uh -huh. But you said that you've been on a little bit of a down ebb today, my friend. What's happening? Yeah, I feel pretty heartbroken. And of course, you already know this, April. Mm -hmm. But I'll share with our listeners that a friend of mine passed away last week. You know, yeah. It's so sad. And my heart just goes out to her spouse and her family. And she was so deeply loved by so many people. But it's really got me thinking about just growing older and the complexity that comes with aging. Because as time passes, as we're given the gift of living to see another day, of course. It comes with so much potential, which we talked about last week a little bit with that Sabian symbol of daybreak. Mm -hmm. But of course, the flip side of aging is that you get that gift, but you also live to see more heartache. 
you can't really have one without the other. And so I've really been thinking about that a lot this past mm-hmm. week, you know. Yeah. I'm sorry about your friend. Thank you. It is especially um, wrenching when it starts getting into your age group or even, you know, as you wrote about in your New Moon essay, you know, somebody even a lot younger. Yeah. That is really tricky. And I mean, we both kind of wrote about that in our essays at the mm-hmm. Leo Newman. I wanted to remind people they can go to our webpage, BigSkyAstropod.com, and you'll see we have a new little feature there we told you about last week with a little news feed that shows Jen's lovely essay and my latest essay for the new moon and then the latest episode, show notes and things there. And we both kind of wrote about that, the dichotomy of Leo, how, mm-hmm. you know, it's when the sun is shining most brightly, but then we also notice the shadows a little bit more. And life brings with it an expiration date. And that is part of the Leo season as well. It's like knowing that life is precious because we don't have an inexhaustible supply of it. So we have to love life while we have it and love the people we have while we have them and leave nothing on the table and just go whole hog, right? That's so true. Yeah. Well, here's to you having a little bit of a brighter week ahead. Thanks, April. And thanks for your kind words. Well, let's look at the rest of the astrology for the week. Yeah, let's. It starts out with an aspect that's, you know, sort of talks of a little bit of challenge that we're going to be looking at over the next few months. And it's the first square aspect between Mars and Aries and Saturn and Capricorn. This is the first of three squares, of course, because Mars will go retrograde this fall. And we've kind of given people a heads up about that. That happens in early September. Right now, it will make the square on August 24th at 11.20 a.m. here in the Pacific time zone. And then the second square will be when Mars is retrograde. And that'll be on September 29th. Then Mars will go direct again. It'll make the third square on January 13th, 2021. So this is the beginning of this particular little journey. The nature of Mars is the nature of trying to get things done. And it has been a little frustrating since Mars has been in Aries, and especially since it entered its shadow period of the retrograde, which happened a couple of weeks ago, been a little bit harder to make forward movement on things and to make progress. That will intensify, I'm sure, as Mars turns retrograde, which I think is September 9th. I think that's the date. Right. So Mars is about how we're trying to get things done. Saturn is about the path that we take, the plan that we make, and the things that define our path and that sometimes get in our way, get in the way of forward motion. There are times in life where we have to go with the flow. Those are usually Neptune times. Ah, that's a good way to put it. Yes, because we have no choice. Yeah, nice. But during Mars-Saturn times, we have to push ourselves to make progress and not let ourselves be stopped, but to know that if there are impediments along the way, that they're there to just slow us down a little bit so we make sure we're doing things the right way. So you had a story that illustrated this aspect really well, and in particular, the Sabian symbols for this combination. The Sabian symbol for the sun is a lost opportunity regained in the imagination, and the Sabian symbol for Saturn is a mountain pilgrimage. So what was your experience? Well, it's interesting because I've been dealing with a pretty serious injury, basically relearning how to walk. And I recently started doing something called graded motor imagery, where you picture yourself in your mind walking around the block. And it's something I'm not able to do right now. So the point is to picture something that is difficult for you and to picture yourself doing that activity. You know, it's the same thing elite athletes do. Like they picture themselves successful at their sport, running a marathon or hitting a baseball out of the park, that kind of thing. 
When I first started doing graded motor imagery, I couldn't get off my front porch. You know, in my mind, Mm -hmm. there was a block. And of course, if you can't get off the porch in your imagination, you're not going to be able to do it in reality, right? (laughs) Yeah, right, because you can't visualize it. Yeah, exactly. As a possibility. What's so powerful and fascinating to me is that now I can picture myself walking many blocks in my mind and even running part of the way. Wow. So it reminds me just of both of these Sabian symbols. It's my own personal pilgrimage, you know, Mm -hmm. but it's also this opportunity that I'm sort of reclaiming in my imagination. I love that. It's a visualization exercise. Exactly. Which is fantastic and a great way to think about working with a difficult aspect like this. Because, you know, again, it's the thing of being able to envision getting where it is you want to go, even if you are encountering blockages along the way. So, oh, I love that. Yeah, it's a really powerful activity. Those boots are made for walking, Jen. (laughs) Sing it, April. And that is just what they'll do. (laughs) Come on. Now I'm going to do the Elvis thing where he talks in the middle of the song. (laughs) You know, Jen, those boots are made for walking. And that's just what they'll do. <laughs> well, we had our musical episode a couple episodes ago, so. That's excellent. Now we're doing this, this speaking interlude of it all. Hilarious. Well, good luck with your visualization and your walking and, and to everybody out there with whatever it is they're dealing with. And just know, you know, I think it's like my situation of trying to introduce the cast to each other and trying to be so patient about it. Because if we do it too soon, it could really backfire. And then we have 17 years of snarling and hissing and all of the rest. So this is a particular moment in time, I think, where we are all asked to be a little bit patient and to reframe and re-envision and re-visualize what it is we want to do and trust that the moment is going to be right. By the time January comes along and we're at the last square in this series, I think we'll be making good progress with this. I like to think of it that way. But the cats will have to meet each other sooner than that (laughs) because we can't keep living in different parts of the house. Oh, We also have a lot of aspects happening with Mercury this week. Boy, do we ever. And also Venus is similarly busy. Mm -hmm. So we decided rather than break down each and every aspect in great detail, we'll just generally say that this week, Mercury will make a trine aspect to Uranus, which is nice. It will make a trine aspect to Jupiter, similarly very easy and positive. And it will make an opposition to Neptune, which is not necessarily easy. Mercury trines Uranus on August 25th at 8.17 a.m. And Mercury being the planet that is about writing things down, having a checklist, the way we use our minds and our skills. I think it was last week when we were talking about Mercury in Virgo. It's about manual dexterity and all of the rest of it. Trying Uranus, it just says, hey, this is a week when... Very possibly, you know, since it's trying Uranus and Uranus is a planet of innovation and insights. I think we had a square between Mercury and Uranus very recently, didn't we? Because I feel like we were just talking about this. We did, yes. So this is an easier process. Instead of the bolt of inspiration that comes out of the blue, this is something that you've already probably been doing on the regular. Okay. One of the Sabian symbols here is Uranus at 11 Taurus, which is a woman sprinkling flowers. Every day she's out there doing it. It's the things that we tend to on a regular basis. So in the process of whatever you're doing on the regular... There is an opportunity to see it a little differently, do it a little differently, 
and smoothly incorporate it into your routines. Nice. Yeah, I think so. I like that explanation between the difference between a trine and a square. Yeah, it's just a little easier. It's less waking you up and more just kind of a quiet little voice of innovation. Nice. Mercury is trying Jupiter on August 29th at 6.28 a.m. Pacific time. And it's on one of my favorite degrees, 18 Virgo, a Ouija board. <laughs> I just really like Ouija boards, so I'm so always intrigued to see it there. Yeah. It will take us into the opposition to Neptune as well because it's kind of a spiritist phenomenon and things like that. But it does bring in, although Mercury is still in Virgo, and that's what's intriguing about this Sabian symbol falling in Virgo, mm. which we don't think of Virgo as a psychic kind of a sign or a spiritualist kind of sign. No, not at all. No, but in the way that we do things day to day, that is, again, you know, what we've talked about before, I think in the Groundhog Day episode, we were talking about the dichotomy between Virgo and Pisces and the strongly spiritual element of Mercury which is about, again, doing everyday things in a spiritual way and making them meaningful. The trine to Jupiter just means that this is a particularly good day for initiating things that have to do with putting out the word, asking for things, making contact. If you're a person who is a writer, for instance, and wanting to submit a manuscript or something, this might be a good day for it. Okay. On days that... Mercury and Jupiter are in good aspect, and as well as the days that Venus and Mars are in good aspect, or the Sun and Saturn. What will happen is if you build a chart for a moment to do something, if those planets are in harmony, you have more and better opportunities for things to flow mm. without getting too technical. Yeah. So when Mercury is trying Jupiter, that's a good day for putting out the word and showing a little bit of bravado and a little bit of daring. A little courage, maybe. Yeah, a sense of taking a chance with Mercury trying Jupiter. Very good. And then on August 30th, we have Mercury's opposition to Neptune at 11.43 a.m. Pacific time. Mercury and Neptune have sort of opposite functions. Mercury is about the nuts and bolts details, the pragmatic details and logistics of everyday life, especially when it's in Virgo. And it meets its opposition to Neptune. One day aspect, not a huge deal. But it's also a day when we're trying to gain clarity about something. So it's not always the easiest day to think clear. It works a little bit like a Mercury retrograde sometimes because you're not seeing things super clearly. You might say, think you sent an email, but you never hit the send button or these kinds of things. There's a little bit of a cloud that comes. Yeah. On the other hand, an excellent day to work on your Mars square Saturn visualizations uh -huh. <laughs> because Mercury and <laughs> Neptune work together in that way of trying to envision things, and especially if you write things down. Okay. If on that day you might want to write down what it is that you're envisioning, the hurdles that you're trying to overcome with this Mars-Saturn square. I imagine the writing down would be great with Mercury involved there as well as Saturn this week because Saturn likes that structure. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And just the overall Earth emphasis in this week. And you pointed out that there's a grand trine in Earth signs between August 25th and September 10th, which involves Jupiter and Capricorn, Uranus and Taurus and Mercury and the Sun in Virgo. Right. This all speaks to a, a little more pragmatic approach, which is a bit of a struggle for trying to access that Neptune spirit in a productive way. But that's one way to do it. Of what am I envisioning? 
writing it down, giving it form. Excellent. And we also have this week, April. What is it? What is it, Jen? Moonwatch. Moonwatch. Play it. <laughs> it doesn't get old. Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> yes, Moonwatch. This week we have a first quarter moon at 2 degrees and 59 minutes of Sagittarius on August 25th at 10.58 a.m. Pacific time. That's right on my ascendant, Jen. <gasps> so what does that mean for your chart? I can only guess. Hmm. So first quarter moon we know is about taking action. At the new moon, we've planted seeds of intention and so forth. At the first quarter, it's time to actually feel the need to do something with them and do something about them. The ascendant of the chart is similar. It's about initiating new things being in new situations and new environments. So I think a first quarter moon on my ascendant might just light a little fire under me. Well, and maybe it's how people will perceive you also, since it's on your ascendant. Maybe. Extra specially saggy. Yeah. Do you think? Yeah. Extra specially gaff prone and cheerful. <laughs> and a little clumsy falling over. The Wait, is saggy clumsy? Oh my gosh. It's very sporty, but very clumsy. Really? Oh, yes. I always say Sagittarius rising, everything else falling down because you're constantly. <laughs> well, it's like a half man, half horse. How graceful is that? You're trying to figure out how to deal with arms and hooves. That's excellent. Yeah. Oh, I love that. So that is the that's my Sag rising. Sag rising, everything else everything falling, else falling down. down. I'm constantly falling down. I think that's hilarious. Sag's saving grace is it laughs at itself. Oh. Uh -huh. Which is a good thing for a Leo person because we can find it hard to laugh at ourselves. And I'm not always good at that. Aww. But the Sagittarius, you have no choice. I remember being at a bookstore one day, which is a very saggy thing to begin with. And you know how sometimes they have these high bookshelves and they have ladders so that you can climb up on them and look at that? Yes. Well, I've managed to fall over the ladder, but I just kind of kept falling in slow motion. I didn't get hurt. Wait, you were on the ladder and it fell over? No, I was at the bottom and kind of got wound around it somehow. Oh. The bottom part of it. it just <laughs> like a dachshund. It was kind of hilarious, really. Oh. And I was laughing all the way down because I knew it had to look ridiculous. <laughs> anyway, this is Sagittarius. So the first quarter moon in Sagittarius for all of us, I think, is about, well, yes, not taking things too seriously and knowing that you're going to go out and you're going to do things and it's not going to be perfect. And, you know, during Virgo season, that isn't necessarily the easiest thing. We're in the heart of the season that is about self-improvement and always doing better and being a little bit serious and intense about it with Virgo. The first quarter moon, of course, by definition, is always in a sign that squares the sign that the sun is in. So Virgo wants to do it all just right. Sagittarius first quarter says, you know what? Just make a beginning. It doesn't have to be perfect. You will fail. Maybe you'll fall down. Go ahead and laugh about it. But unless you reach for the stars, you'll get nowhere. So that is what we're called to do this first quarter. I like that. Yeah, the Sabian symbol is intriguing. It's two men playing chess. And I don't know how that fits into all of this symbolism. But it is a battle of intellect Virgo and Sagittarius are intellectual signs, but in very different ways. Explain that. Virgo analyzes, looks what's on the written page, analyzes it. Sagittarius is a little more philosophical. It is playing with ideas of things that don't necessarily even exist yet, because it's thinking big. Virgo is about what's here and now, how can we organize it in the most useful way? And Sagittarius is more, well, what hasn't been created yet? 
what are we going to do? Two men playing chess, both of them vying in different ways to prevail, perhaps. So Virgo's making a checklist and Sag is just saying, let's just get out the binoculars and see as far as we can. Exactly. And yet he gets out there in the woods to explore and finds he doesn't have his canteen (laughs) and he doesn't have a compass. (laughs) Had he only listened to Virgo, right? Had he only made the checklist, things could have gone so much easier for our friend. Virgo's going, tisk, tisk, I told you you should have brought the canteen. And Sag is saying, egg one, go Sag is so thirsty because he forgot his water bottle. That's right. (laughs) However, Sagittarius will find a way. Sagittarius will find a stream or something Mm -hmm. to drink out of. That's excellent. I love that. And he always lands on his hooves, you know, which frustrates Virgo because Virgo's like, you didn't follow any of the rules, but it still worked out for you. It's sort of like your juggling story, you know, from last week. Was it your brother or a brother-in-law? Yeah, that yeah. had worked so hard, done the really Virgo thing of really learning how to do juggling. Yeah, and you just went, no, nah, you just do it like this. Yeah. So that is that is our first quarter moon for this week. Where's okay. that falling in your chart, Jen? Is that in the first house or first house? Yep. So you're kind of in the same boat. I guess I am. Close to your Neptune, right? Close to my Neptune, indeed. Hmm. I want to give a plug. Have I given a plug for Stephen Forrest's book of Neptune? I think you did at one point, or maybe it was the book of Pluto, but please go ahead. It's worth repeating. It's a fantastic book. Stephen Forrest, one of our favorite authors, and it's just called The Book of Neptune. It's fantastic. He is an excellent author. He writes beautifully. And he's really good at writing about things that are hard to write about. Neptune and the Moon, both really, really hard to put into words. Um, His books on the Moon and Neptune are some of my favorites. They're just great. I'll add that in the show notes for folks. I think that sounds great. Well, Venus is also busy this week. She's trying to keep up with Mercury. Venus is still moving through Cancer, of course, and it will make an opposition to Jupiter on August 25th at 3.26 p.m. Pacific. On the Sabian symbol that is, to me, so apt for Venus and Cancer, which is a hen scratching for her chicks. So it's the little mama figure trying to provide for the little ones. Very Cancerian, yes. It is very Cancerian. And opposed to Jupiter, I get the picture of the little mama chick, you know, who is really trying to keep them safe and keep them fed and everything. But then you've got this one that's like our little Toby that's just constantly making a run for it Mm. and just dashing out of the room or into the room or just at high speed and trying to have a little adventure in the outside world as the Venus opposed Jupiter. So it's that tension really between being comfortable, being safe, enjoying a loving environment, and on the other hand, the call to adventure of Jupiter. You know, it takes us back again to the first quarter moon, really, which has always that same tension, adventure versus caution. Yeah. You know, Mercury and the sun have both gone through cancer pretty recently. And now Venus is going through the cleanup crew here, going through, (laughs) I guess, right? Yeah. Telling us what? Well, she's prettifying. Venus always makes things a little more lovely. Okay. This is where she's starting to run into some of that difficult territory that we talked about when Venus went into cancer. Because we could see, of course, she was going to have to tangle with Jupiter and Pluto and Saturn in turn. And this week, she does the first of those. She does the opposition to Jupiter. And then on August 30th, she does the opposition to Pluto at 6.27 a.m. So she's meeting some interesting forces out there that threaten that sense of safety and security. 
Venus opposed Pluto is, yeah, it's nice to be really, really comfortable here in your little nest, but just outside there is a wolf at the gate, which is Pluto. You have to figure out how to not antagonize him so that he really kind of launches himself at the gate and pushes it down, but at the same time, keeping yourself safe. Sure. So it's the knowledge, I think, that I have this beautiful, safe, happy, loving little environment that I'm in, but there's a scary world out there, and I can't completely ignore that. I have to know that that's the bigger environment that I'm dealing in, right? but not wanting to dwell on it too much, mm, you know? I see. But it's not all grim for Venus this week. She will make a lovely trine to Neptune on August 27th at 2.13 p.m. Pacific on um, a couple of really, really beautiful Sabian symbols. What are they? Well, Venus is on gondoliers in Serenade. Hmm. And then Neptune is on a table set for an evening meal. Oh, I remember you talking about how much you love that one. I love it. I love both those symbols, and I love Venus trying Neptune. It's one of the few really beautiful aspects I have in my birth chart. <laughs> oh, what does that mean for your birth chart? I think it's made me very musical. Mm-hmm. You know, I have the musical inclination because Neptune and Venus are both associated with music and with the arts. Okay. It gives the ability, I think, to love very deeply and well, if not always wisely, because of Neptune. I think you learn from some experience. Yeah, Venus, try Neptune. We even have music in the Sabian symbol, gondoliers and serenade. And it's the ways in which this week we can harmonize with our environment and with the people around us. I love the table set for an evening meal because it says here is an opportunity maybe after many weeks of things being a bit contentious between us and other people in our lives to have this lovely moment where we're A little more in harmony, serenading a bit. That's excellent. Well, we wanted to finish up just talking about something Mars will be doing later in the week. It actually makes the square to Saturn, as we said, on August 24th. And the next day on August 25th at 527 p.m. Pacific, Mars will be making a sextile aspect to the North Node, the transiting North Node in Gemini. So I think the promise here is that although things are feeling difficult, and they're not flowing necessarily on the 24th with the square to Mars. That the sextile to the North Node says, yes, but in doing this, you are building muscles and creating opportunities that will be moving you forward on the North Node and Gemini path over the next year, year and a half. And again, that's a path towards curiosity, learning, new environments, and variety. And There is something to be said for learning from your mistakes, learning from frustration, which we'll be seeing with Mars square Saturn. And in learning from that, in learning to persevere when we need to persevere, it also will keep our minds a little more open. Because if we launch out in Mars fashion, loaded for bear, to say, this is what I'm going to do. I know exactly what I'm doing. I'm going to push forward in doing it, which Mars and Aries all like to do. And Saturn's kind of putting up a palm and saying, not so fast, buddy. In being tempered in that way by Saturn, I think what's happening is Mars can direct its energy. It's never going to be patience or humility, really, with Mars and Aries. Right. But at least more information. Okay. It's like its awareness has been enlarged a little bit by the fact that it's learned it has to restrain itself, that it can't do everything all at once in just the way it wants to do it. That puts us in a good position to pursue that North Node path 
of having a little more of an open mind and realizing that we don't always know everything about everything. And that's okay. That's actually good. It takes us in directions that we couldn't necessarily have imagined for ourselves. And getting back to the idea of imagining our path. All right. Well, unless I'm missing something, my friend, I think that is everything on our show sheet. Have we done it? We've done it. Episode 40. April, we're in the 40s. (gasps) 40? Can you believe it? And look at this. It's almost the end of August. (sighs) What the heck? I can't believe it. Oh, Jen. The time, (laughs) it do pass. It sure does, yeah. It does. Well, thanks to all of you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, rate or leave us a review, and we hope that you'll help us spread the word. Tell a friend, share it on social media. You can read show notes and full transcripts and, of course, essays now as well, and leave your comments about each episode at our website, BigSkyAstropod.com. And if you find value in our show, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com and donate a dollar or 10 or maybe 40. <gasps> Jen, you continue to be so bold. That's great. Any offering is humbly appreciated. Yes. Well, join us again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, please check out her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thought-provoking weekly essays, purchase her books, sign up for a personal astrology reading, and more. That's all for today. If you like what you're listening to, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast and hit subscribe to stay current with new episodes. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Big Sky Astrology. Thanks again for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Oh,